good evening, Grace Church. Welcome to the campus. It's great to see everybody. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, we're glad you've chosen to be a part of the service here tonight on a Wednesday night. In fact, it's the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, right? All right, now the way y'all are looking at me, I'm thinking maybe I have my dates wrong or something. <laughs> I believe a week from tomorrow is Thanksgiving. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And, um, and so here we are. I got to tell you, um, I, when I came, went back to my, I was in the office today, went back to my desk from lunch, and I had a package on my desk from one of our clients. And I thought, well, it's not unusual to get something for Christmas from, from some of our clients. That does happen from time to time. But it's a little early, so prob- maybe it's some cheese or something for Thanksgiving. I don't know, you know. So I opened it up, and it was Bajeron pecans, which is wonderful. And I thought, well, yeah, this is, this is great, perfect for Thanksgiving. But there was a note in there that said, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Now, I will say they're a little early. They're just a tad early on the draw there. However, however, it is time to start thinking in those terms, isn't it? I told you Sunday there were only 40 shopping days left at Christmas. Well, that's... That's lessened by three days now, just so you know. And there is some concern about the the UPS and the FedEx and all those folks getting our packages to us on time. So just make a note of that. I'm just starting out with a little piece of good news tonight, you know, just kind of wake you up a little bit. We want to preach the truth here tonight on a Wednesday night. So God bless you. Glad to see you. Glad you're here. Hey, thank you for your faithfulness and giving. Um, and, And you're always... Uh, so so good about that, Grace Church. Don't forget, you can give online. You can give on your way out at Grand Central. So make a note of that. Um, I guess if I had looked at my announcements a little closer, I'd had the answer to my first question about Thanksgiving. I do want to just go over the the immediate holiday schedule with you very quickly. We will have service Sunday, of course, at eleven o'clock. But a week from tonight, Wednesday night service will be dismissed for the Thanksgiving holiday. So please make a note of that. No Bible study next Wednesday night, and then gentlemen, men's prayer on November 28th would also be, will also be dismissed for the holiday, and don't forget the Christmas service on December 13th, and we're looking forward to that, always a tremendous, tremendous time uh, celebrating the birth of Jesus with our family, right, like with our Grace family, we're family, and uh, some of us probably are closer to some of the folks at Grace Church than we are our, our natural family, so let's have Let's have family time on December 13th and have Christmas service together. We'll have a great time. Before we go to the word of the Lord tonight, we are going to pray. And in fact, I think I'm just going to ask you to stand for a moment, if you would, and and we're going to pray together. I want to pray for the Bible study, of course, but uh, uh, our our young Noah Watley, our our very own Noah Watley, had a four-wheeler accident this afternoon. And it looks like... He's going to be okay, thank God. He, he does have a broken arm in at least two places, and he's at Children's Hospital. They're going to keep him overnight to observe and to, to help with pain management and those things. So, so, so both the, the Watley family, Brother Chris and Sister Casey, and the Murphys, Brother and Sister Murphy, have asked for prayer, uh, not only for Noah, but for them. And so could we do that tonight as we pray over the Bible study? Could we pray for Noah that God would give him a quick and miraculous recovery and just help those doctors and nurses Uh, Just nurse him back to a very good report. Jesus, we are so thankful, Lord. These are the moments when we're so glad that we know you and we we know who to call and we know where to turn. And 
Lord, we know that these things never catch you by surprise because, because they have to have your stamp of approval before they even come our way. So, Lord, I'm just praying that you would touch Noah tonight in that hospital room. Lord, touch his arm. Heal that break, I pray. Be with those doctors and nurses and health professionals. Give them wisdom. I pray for a quick and, and speedy recovery. Be with, with the Watleys, Chris and Casey. Be with the Murphys, Pastor and Sister Murph. Give them courage. Give them grace. Walk with them. Let them feel your comfort and your presence. Anoint what is done here tonight all over the campus and our, and our youth and our students here in the sanctuary. Anoint what is done out of the word of God. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I know Noah's going to be okay. It, it's, it's just the four-wheeler. I, I, hope, it, uh, I, hope, it, uh, I hope it's okay. So God bless you. Keep him in prayer, if you would, over the next several days. Let's go to the word of the Lord tonight. I'm going to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to read a, a few verses of Scripture, and I'm going to attempt to read from the Bible, the, the, the physical Bible here tonight. Uh, I tried this one, uh, here a while back, and I got into trouble because I couldn't see the print in my Bible from this distance. But we're going to try it again tonight and see what happens. Um, and and, and if, if, you, if you've got it on the screen, you can just read it back to me if I miss a word. But let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'd like to read verses 10 all the way down to verses 16. And, of course, this is the Apostle Paul addressing Timothy. And he says, For therefore we both labor... And suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. And then he, he gives Timothy some specific advice here. He says, let no man despise thy youth. And he goes on to say, be thou an example of believers. Be thou an example of believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Ne uh, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbyters. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. What, what great words from the great apostle. What, what beautiful, beautiful, beautiful advice and, and, of course, the word of God. So tonight I just want to talk to you from this passage for a few minutes about this idea, the authentic Christian. The authentic Christian. The story is told, it's a true story, years ago, years ago, a pastor in London boarded a trolley there in that city and and he bought his ticket, and the trolley driver gave him, gave him back an exorbitant amount of change for the ticket. The pastor went and sat down in his chair and prepared for the ride, and, and, and he looked at that change that the trolley driver had given him, and, and, and he realized immediately what had happened. And, and who, you know, who knows what that pastor may have thought at, right at that moment. I, I know I would have been tempted, and perhaps you would have been tempted to think, well, Boy, the Lord moves in mysterious ways. Look, look how he's blessed me. You know, you just never know when a, when a blessing from the Lord is going to turn up from, from, from just about anywhere. But as that pastor sat there and looked at that, that money, that exorbitant amount of change, he thought to himself, he said, can my gain be 
another man's loss, realizing that that trolley driver would be responsible for the shortage at the end of the day. So he went forward to the trolley driver and he said, you gave me too much money in return, I'm, I'm sorry, and I'm going to have to make sure that I make this right and give it back to you. The trolley driver looked at him and said, he said, I, I know I gave you too much money. He said, I was in your church last Sunday, Pastor, and, and I heard you preaching on honesty. He said, I just wanted to see if you were for real. You never know when there's an opportunity to live out our Christian faith and authenticity. You never know who's watching. You never know when you're being tested. And so, so we read this verse or these verses today, uh, tonight from, from the Apostle Paul. Let me read the key verse again. And then I want to read you one man's translation of this verse. This is kind of where we'll be, where we're going to camp out. It's from verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no man despise your youth but be an example or be an example to them that believe. And then, he, and then he lists several ways in which Timothy can be an example and be a leader to those that believe in word, in manner of life, in love, in faith, and in purity. One man translated it like this. He said, do not give anyone a chance to despise you. Do not give anyone a chance to despise you because you are young. But in your words and in your conduct, and, and this is it right here where I'm going to focus on, in love in loyalty and in purity. Three things, in love and loyalty and in purity. Show yourself to be an example of what believing people should be. So, so these three specific areas that he admonishes Timothy and of course admonishes us that we can live out every day and, and be, be an example to those that are around us and be a true example of an authentic Christian. And I think this is more necessary now than ever because, because we interact with people in such, such, way, uh, such, such profound ways now, not only face-to-face, not only in person, but, but through our social media presence, through, through posts on Facebook, through, through, through reactions to other people's posts on Facebook and social media. We have so many ways that we interact with people. It's important that we stop and, and maybe take a step back and realize that, that, that the world is watching and that we have, we have opportunities every, every day to, to really model Christ and to really be an authentic Christian. So, so in this letter, let's, let's look at a little background. In this letter to Timothy, Paul is addressing some of the difficulties that Timothy was facing. And, and one of them was that he was young. He says, let no man despise your youth. Now, now Timothy was certainly not a child. He wasn't even a, a teenager. And, and, and we know this from some context in the scripture. First of all, it had been 15 years since Timothy had been chosen by Paul to be his helper in the Lord. So we know, we know that at least 15 years had elapsed since Paul thought he was at least old enough and qualified enough to be a helper in the church. And then secondly, the Greek word translated youth here can describe anyone of military age up to 40 back in those days. So, so he was probably, you know, somewhere between being what we would call a young adult and the age of 40. But he was certainly young. He was certainly a, a younger person probably than many that he was leading. And he was certainly younger than Paul. And, and Paul probably feared that... that maybe Timothy was getting extra scrutiny. Maybe he was coming under more uh, scrutiny than, than would, would normally be the case because of his age and possibly even a question of his experience. 
And so there would probably be, no doubt be some questions about his calling. But whatever the case, there would be those in the, in the church just watching and, and seeing if Timothy were the real deal. And so, so Paul is addressing that. And, and in this, in, in giving Timothy these, these steps to follow in, in, in love and in charity and in purity, he's given him some of the, the best advice that you could possibly give somebody that's trying to prove themselves. But it's also some of the hardest advice to follow. And that's just simply this, is that Timothy is charged with silencing all critics by his conduct, by the way he handles himself, by the way he acts. That's the best way to silence any, any criticism because, you know, we can, we can know our doctrine inside and out. We can be ready to, to teach any, any aspect of what we believe to anybody and defend the faith, as we like to say. And, and that's necessary and that's true and that's real and we need to be able to do that. But, but as much as that's important and necessary, the real indicator and what people are going to take away long after they, they know how much you know and how much your knowledge what they're really going to take away is, is who you really are, what your character is really like, what, how authentic you are, how, how well you live out what you, what you say you believe. I want to tell you that I, uh, I had an experience many years ago, uh, many years ago. Fair and I had not been married very long, and we were, we were renting a an apartment at a particular apartment complex and I was out one day I don't remember now if I was going to do laundry or just walking to the car or whatever and the the maintenance man stopped me and uh and we began to talk and we we just began to to kind of connect a little bit and uh he said uh, he he I guess we we quickly got on the subject of of God and these things and and he said well you know he he said I I'm I'm an apostolic he said I go to to such and such church uh across town and I said, well, man, I said, you know, that's, that's amazing. That's great to hear. He said, I said, you know, Fair and I go to that same church. And being young and somewhat less tactful than I try to be now, I, I went ahead and said, you know, I, I don't ever remember seeing you at, at that church. And, uh, and I, I can see it so vividly. I, I, see the, I can see that scene in my head so vividly. He just, he just kind of bowed his head and he just, he just kind of shook it from side to side. And he said, well... He said, I don't go like I should. He said, in fact, I haven't been in many years. He said, but, but I, I need to get back. I, I need to go back to church. It's an example, you know, it, it, had I not gone to that particular church and was able to call him out on it, it, it anybody else that he had been telling that he was a churchgoer and, and, and that he attended church and that he walked with Jesus and all those things, they would have just accepted it at, at, at face value and, and would have, have, have moved on and just thought he was a Christian the point being, of course, is that he, he came through as less than authentic in that moment. Uh, and, and, and his words, what he said, did not match the, the life that he, that he really lived. And so we've got to be authentic. We've got to be real. Plato, Plato, it is said, was once falsely accused, falsely accused of dishonorable conduct. And he said, well, he said, we must just, we're just going to have to live in such a way that all men will see that the charge is false. And, and I think that really gets to the heart of the matter, that our conduct, the way we behave, the, the way we live, can, can prove or disprove uh, what, what, what we say and, and what people take us to be. So we have to be congruent. The greatest way to honor God is to be who we say we are. So let's, let, let's take a, a few moments here tonight and look at these three distinctives 
uh, that Paul gives. He says, be an example in love, in faith, and in purity. And we'll start with love. The, the word love here in Paul's letter is agape. And, and you've all heard that word. You've heard the word agape love. We're, we're familiar with that. It's the Greek word for the greatest of the Christian virtues, some say. It's the greatest of the Christian virtues, but it's a largely untranslatable word. It's, it's, it's tough to get at the meaning of it, but, but really what it gets down to and what the essence of it is, is, is it just means agape love just means un unconquerable benevolence, unconquerable benevolence. That, that means, if I could just put it like this, it's, it's the caring for people at, at such a level that, that you'll, you won't be deterred. It, it's caring for people and loving people at such a level that you'll never be deterred. You can't be conquered. That love will never be squashed or put down. A person that has agape will, will seek nothing but other people's good no matter how we're treated or, or what other people say about us. It's, it's a love that's never bitter. It's never resentful. It's never vengeful. Uh, and it's a, an agape love is one that, that never allows for hate and, and never refuses to forgive, never withholds forgiveness from somebody. That kind of love, that kind of love takes the whole or the entirety of a man or a woman's personality and bearing to achieve. That's not easy to do. That's not an easy love to, to, to produce. Um, now, now, ordinary love, the, the, for, for instance, the love for our, our next of kin, a love for our family, the love for those nearest and dearest to our heart, for, for the most part, that's instinctive. For the most part, parents love their children, right? And for the most part, children love their parents. That just kind of comes instinctively. That's natural, that, that natural love. Romantic love, that, 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 that comes out, or, or the love for, for one another is love we can't help. Romantic love just comes naturally, too. It's, it's natural for folks to grow up and, and to fall in love. And In fact, in my household right now, uh, I have to be careful here, but, but one of the children is, is starting to experience this, and, 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 and it's, it's not, I, I, I'm not, I'm not working with it very well. It's not, um, uh, dads, you know, uh, as I said, I don't want to give too much away, but dads have a, have a special connection with their daughters, okay? And, 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 and she just really only needs one man in her life, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm him. So, but that, that, that's natural, that's part of life. You're supposed to grow up and fall in romantic love. But this agape love, this agape love takes, takes a, a decision. It's a conscious effort to achieve. It's, it's hard to love somebody when you've been wronged. It, it, it's hard to withhold bitterness and hate when you know you're right and the other person is absolutely in the wrong. That's not easy to do. It's, it's the love we're called on to, to give, but it's not easy. But it is the Christian love. It is the Christian virtue. If I could say it this way, Christian love is love not only of the heart, but it's love of the will. I willfully love you even if I've been wrong for you, uh, wrong by you. And I, again, it is a Christian virtue. I would say it's a discipline that is developed in us by the Holy Spirit and by great effort on our part. But here's the thing, and, and you, probably, you probably already guessed that I'm going here. This is the kind of love that Jesus gave to us, right? This is the kind of love we've experienced. So, so how could we then withhold that kind of love from others? Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. We love to quote this verse, but it's very true. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. Before we loved him back, he loved us. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus showed that, that ultimate, ultimate, ultimate love. If I could go to one more verse of scripture, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5, that famous chapter on love. He says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. It vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. And then watch this. Seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinks no evil. Have you ever been around somebody that just refused to think evil about other people? No matter how despicable somebody had been or how despicable they had behaved. This person just refuses to see any, any ill will in somebody else. And, and sometimes, let's be honest, that can be a little off-putting. It can be a little aggravating. But that person is actually right, and we're in the wrong to feel that way. The person that refuses to see the bad is actually experiencing and demonstrating agape love. Here's the thing. God will put you in places where you have opportunities to display agape love. He will. He will. Because this is, this is part of our authentic Christianity. This is, this is opportunity to demonstrate the love of God. It's the opportunity to demonstrate that we're true Christians, where the world would say, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That person wronged me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them back. I'm going to see my revenge, and it's going to be sweet. That's not how the Christian reacts in that situation. That's not how the Christian responds. The Christian says, I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to love you even though you are my enemy. If I could give a, a personal example, many, many years ago, also uh, early in our marriage, we adopted our niece who was 10 years old at the time. And we really struggled with that decision, not that we didn't love her and not that she wasn't worth all of our investment, but being just, just married just a couple of years and trying to figure out uh, finishing education and figuring out when we wanted to start our family and what our future might look like and all these things, we really wrestled with the idea of adopting someone uh, th that was already, I guess, half grown, you could say, in, in that way. And we prayed about it. We fasted about it. We, we got counsel uh, from people we trusted, all of which said, by the way, not to, not to go forward with it. And we just felt, we felt so compelled by, uh, by God to do this. And I'll tell you, uh, we, were, we were scheduled to meet with the caseworker to, to make the decision, yay or nay, what we were going to do. And I had left for work. I was driving to the meeting. We still hadn't decided. And as I took the exit to, to get off the interstate and go to the meeting, I felt God quicken that scripture in James that says, true religion and undefiled is this, to see after the fatherless and the widow. And, and I just felt like that was, was our answer, that at that, that some point you have to say, all right, am I going to live out my Christianity? Am I going to live out what I say I believe? Am I going to live out the words of the book and put hands and feet on the gospel? Am I going to invest in somebody's life like Jesus Christ invested in mine? Am I going to set my, my feelings aside and, 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 and my plans aside and, and, and love somebody else the best I can the way Jesus loved me. And so that's what we did. And, and thankfully, uh, God was with us and that worked out. But the point is, is we all have opportunities, maybe not at that extreme, but we all have opportunities to demonstrate agape love. And if we'll seize those, if we'll walk into them and walk through them, 
it'll help us show that authentic Christianity. The second point Paul raises here, in addition to agape love, he talks about loyalty. He just talks about this idea of loyalty. And I would just define that as unconquerable fidelity to Christ. Unconquerable fidelity to Christ. Unwavering commitment to Jesus, if we could just put it in in layman's terms. And and I would just add as a caveat to that or as as a postscript to that, no matter what that fidelity and commitment may cost. Because, see, it's easy to say I'm committed. It's easy to say I'm aligned with Jesus. It's easy to say I'm going to live my life for him. But sometimes it's costly. And that's where the real real question is answered, is is when the chips are down and it costs us something for our commitment. And this this, this costliness, I believe, in our day, it, it's, to me, it's re- where the real breakdown comes as to whether or not we're authentic Christians or not. To me, this is really where it comes down because, because we really live in a, in a society that, that, that Christians come in, in, all, in all shapes and sizes, if I could say it that way. There's a, you know, all kinds of people say they're Christians and just like my friend, the, the maintenance man, that, that never darken a door of, of a church and they don't live out their Christianity in any meaningful way, but they'll identify as Christians. But, but their commitment doesn't cost them anything. It's not, it's not a commitment worth having or keeping because it's never, it's never gone to the level of being put to the test and being, being, uh, being put to the test and being paid the price for. Um, I believe that values will always cost us something. Our values will always cost us something. It's true in our lives, and it's especially true in our walk with God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, he said, uh, he said this, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's that self-denial. That's what it costs us. Somewhere along the line, we have to take a stand for what we believe in, be who we say we are. In that moment of truth, Standing up for our beliefs. And, uh, and I, I think of it in, in terms of costliness, in terms of paying the price. I like to think of it in terms of a soldier. And, and Paul did. He, he likened our, our walk with God to a, to a soldier. In 2 Timothy 2.4 he wrote, No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of, the li- of, of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so Paul even likens our walk with God to to that being a soldier. And so when we think about the price that soldiers pay for their their cause or for their country, it's not without without no small sacrifice. uh, There's a great book called The Liberator by Alex Kershaw, and he recounts the, the riveting story of the 45th Infantry Division in World War II. They took a 500 day march through Europe. They faced some of the most heavy, some of the heaviest fighting, and took some of the greatest casualties of any unit in the war. And they they literally ended their 500-day uh, blitz through Europe. They ended up at the Dachau concentration camp, which they liberated. That's kind of the the focal point and the punchline of the book. They liberated that that concentration camp. But I want you to just put yourself in their shoes, marching through Europe, fighting for 500 days straight. Can you imagine that? And, and I, I thought about that like if, if just pick any, any given day, of the, any given day you're, you're out there, you're marching, you're taking territory, you're fighting, 
and, and, and let's say the, the bombs are coming in, the, the shots are being fired, the bullets, and, and there's people falling to your left and to your right, but, but somehow you, you survive, somehow you fight, and you make it to sundown. You make it through the day. And, and your reward for that, your, your reward for making it through the day, seeing another day, is that tomorrow at sunrise you get to wake up and you get to do it all again. And you do that for 500 days. I'm sure that, that probably some units moved in and some units moved out. But for the most part, many of those guys, they, they took that march. And so that's, that's, just, that, that's the same with us as Christians. There's, there, there, certainly there's times when we feel fatigued and there's times where we're tired and there's times where we feel like the battle's getting the best of us. But we have to wake up again the next day and say, you know what, I've made a commitment. And, it, and yeah, it, it feels pretty costly right now. And, and you know, it would be easy to quit and it, it would be easy to retreat. But, but because I've made my commitment, because I've staked my claim, because I, I, I'm, I'm a, I've got allegiance and my fidelity to Jesus Christ, I am going to fight another day. I'm going to stake my claim and I'm going to keep pushing forward even when it costs me something. I'm going to be loyal to my commander no matter what it costs. So this is the second authentication mark of the Christian leader. I, I think a lot of times about the old timers, those that went before us, about the price they paid. And, and they, they paid a physical price in terms of, of, of the gospel and establishing churches and all those things. But, but they just paid a price, I think, just, just in their faithfulness, just being committed. Uh, you know, coming to church even when they didn't feel like it. I remember uh, Brother Alexander, who you've heard many stories about. He just, uh, there was one service where he came and, and he was in so much pain, he had tears coming out of his eyes and he'd had knee replacement surgery that week. And he, and he came on to church that Sunday, even in the midst of extreme pain. And, and I feel so convicted by that because sometimes I'll get a real bad sinus infection and feel like, feel like staying home sometimes and not, not getting up and, and, and going. And, and they, the, the, these old timers, they paid a price, but it's because, it's because their word meant something. It was like once they, once they said they were going to follow Jesus, they meant it. There, there was no turning back. There was no looking back. If they, if they went to the altar and received the Holy Ghost and repented and turned their lives to Jesus, then, then that was it. They said that, that there was no looking back. They were going to live it out no matter what. So that's loyalty. So we have agape love, we have loyalty. And then lastly, Paul deals with this idea of purity. He talks about purity, um, and I would define purity as unconquerable allegiance to the standards of Jesus Christ. So we have unconquerable love. We have unconquerable fidelity. Now we have unconquerable allegiance to the standards of Jesus Christ. It is said that Pliny reported back to Trajan about the Christians in Bithynia where he was governor in the, in the early days of Christianity, and he said this quote. He said, they are accustomed to bind themselves by an oath to commit neither theft nor robbery nor adultery, ne neither to break their word, never to deny a pledge that has been made when summoned to answer for it, end quote. Those early Christians he was talking about had a pledge, had, had, had a commitment to a life of purity. Christians should have a standard of honor, a standard of honesty, a standard of self-control, a, a standard of discipline and consideration that far exceeds that of the world. I heard somebody say one time, said, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think that's a good way to sum up what, what I'm trying to say. Just because you can 
doesn't mean you should. Paul talked about this again. I, I guess we're studying Paul tonight. I didn't realize that, but we're, we're mostly in Paul's writings tonight. He said in 1 Corinthians 6.12, he says, All things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. He's just saying, he's just, saying just because you can doesn't mean you should. There, there, there are just some things that, that may be, they may be lawful. They may be even accepted in Christian circles. But, but have you noticed how that definition and that line is getting more and more blurred in our day about, about what Christians do and do not do? There, there are things that were preached against so hard when, when, as kids growing up. I can remember hearing them preached about that now that it's accepted in, in some Christian circles to do those things. And, and, and the line blurs. And it, and it gets murky and you see on social media that, that this person is doing this thing and you know or thought at least that they were a Christian and, and this church has decided to go in this direction and you have high regard for that pastor or for the people that attend that church and, and suddenly the lines are blurred and suddenly the, the questions are swirling and suddenly the ideologies are, 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 are at odds and, and, and you wonder what, what is it all about and what does it all mean and and I'm just going to tell you that the authentic Christian is the one that lives their life in alignment with the book. They're the one that gets into the Bible and says, I'm not, I'm not so worried about what Christianity broadly says is okay. I'm not, not worried about what is accepted, but, but I'm worried about pleasing God. I, w I want to please my commander. I want to be pure by, by his definition, by his standard. And, and just because some people are doing some things doesn't mean that, that I can do that and stay in right alignment with, with my commander and with my leader, with my God. And so that's, that's what I believe Paul was getting at. At, at this idea of purity. I want to give you an example out of the scriptures, and I'm rapidly concluding. I won't be much longer in my remarks, but Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. Matthew 17, 24 through 27, if you're looking that up. Uh, this is an interesting story that, about Jesus and his disciples, and I, 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 I don't want to project on you, uh, but I'll, I will just say for myself, I, I don't think I ever fully understand, or understood what was going on in, in this setting. Uh, I think we tend to read by it, read right by it, and, and, and it gets lost on us, the, what, what Jesus was really saying here. And again, don't let me put words in your mouth. If you totally get it and understood and had clarity on it, well, I'm thankful for it. But I didn't really get it until I studied it a little closer. So let's read it, and then we'll make some comment. Matthew 17, 24 through 27. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money, taxes, came to Peter and said, Does your master pay tribute? Does Jesus pay taxes? And Peter says very sagely, Yes. And I guess for the first time in Scripture, here Peter decided to close his mouth and not elaborate anymore. This is the only record we have of what he said. Yes. <laughs> that was it. And when he had come into the house, Jesus prevented him saying, so Jesus said, hang on, Peter, before you say anything, Jesus prevented him. Notice Peter doesn't speak to Jesus in this text. He says, hang on, Peter. What do you think, Simon? He says, what thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter said unto him, of strangers. And Jesus said unto him, Then the children are free. Notwithstanding, 
lest we should offend them. I want you to notice that because, uh, I, just to jump ahead a little bit, we, we live in this society that says, oh, I have the right to do my, my thing. I, I don't care what people say. I, it doesn't matter. I can, you know, I, I'll do what I want. I'll post on Facebook. I'll say what I want to say. But notice here what Jesus did. Lest we should offend them. Go thou to the sea, cast a hook, take up the fish that first cometh up, and when you've opened his mouth, you shall find a piece of money that take and give unto them for you and for me. In other words, that's going to pay the taxes both for Peter and for Jesus. So Jesus provided great miracle coming right out of the fish's mouth. This tax in question was the temple tax. We read about it in Exodus chapter 30. Every Jew over the age of 20 had to pay this tax for the upkeep of the temple. And, and when Jesus asked Peter, this is where I think it gets lost. It certainly did on me. He says, uh, he says Peter, what do you think? Do the kings of earth take customer tribute of their own children or strangers? He, here's what he's saying. He, this is what he would be asking in our terms. He says, would Prince Charles have to pay taxes on Buckingham Palace? Would Prince Charles pay taxes on Buckingham Palace? And the answer is no, because Prince Charles is a, is a son of royal lineage. He's, he's the royal family, so he's not paying taxes on Buckingham Palace. The citizens pay taxes. Charles doesn't have to do that. So Jesus is saying similarly, he doesn't have to pay the tax. It's his house. It's his temple. This whole, the whole thing glorifies him. It's all part of his kingdom. He's under no obligation to pay it. And notice that he could have launched into that with these Pharisees and with these people that asked him. He could have set them down and, and taught them out of the scriptures and said, here's why I don't pay my taxes. I have good reason and this is why. But essentially he chooses a different route and says, nevertheless, so we don't offend them, we're going to go ahead and pay it. Even though the temple had become a den of thieves, don't forget. The temple had become a den of thieves. Yet Jesus said, not to offend them, we're going to go ahead and pay this tax. The principle here is this. Purity over priority. That was important to Jesus. Purity over priority. And by purity here, I just mean being congruent in character, being, being congruent with who you say you are, being that authentic, congruent Christian with what you believe. This idea of integrity, uh, the, the word integrity comes is the same word as integer, uh, whole number. It means whole. It means complete. It means you're the real deal through and through. You have oneness and alignment with what you say and what you do. And again, just by way of application, if I could, if I could just say, if I could just say, just, be, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Don't, don't get caught in this trap of, that, that's so prevalent in our day that, that, says, that says, well, I have my rights and I, 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 can, I, can, I can say that and I can do that and I can post that because, because I, you know, that, I'm not going to let that person get away with it. Sometimes there's a place where we need, to, where we need to, be, to take the low road and say, you know what, nevertheless, just so that I'm not offensive, so that, so that my authentic Christianity comes out, so that there's never any question about, about my loyalties to Jesus Christ, I'm going to take the low road in this situation. It's being authentic Christian. So in conclusion, 
I, I, I love this quote by, by Zig Ziglar. He says, he says, if I'll be hard on myself, life will be very easy on me. He's talking about self-help. self-help. He's talking about getting ahead in life. He says, if I'm hard on myself, life will be very easy on me. But if I go easy on myself, if I go easy on my disciplines, life will be very hard. And I'll say that's very true in our walk with the Lord. It's very true in our Christianity. If, if we're hard on our, our disciplines, if we hold ourselves to account, if we hold ourselves to just a little bit higher standard than maybe what we even have to or what we even should, our, our walk with God will go so much easier. It's, it's asking the wrong question to say, you know, can, can I do this? Is there room in the word of God for me to do this? Does it allow me to do this? That's the wrong question. The, the right question is, is how can I be best aligned with, with, my, with my Lord, with my God? How can, I, how can I be most authentic in my walk with God? So, so two scriptures, two scriptures to leave you with, and then we're going to pray. Psalm chapter 25, verse 21 let integrity, remember integrity gets at that idea of wholeness, integer, whole number. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. That was the psalmist's prayer. Integrity and uprightness will preserve me. And then a fantastic scripture out of Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. The just man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. It gets to the idea that people are watching our integrity. They're watching our authenticity and they're, and, and they're going to be either blessed or not by the life we live and the example we live. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray over you just in dismissal and, uh, and as I mentioned before, be in prayer for, for Noah Watley. Pray that he has a quick dismissal from the hospital tomorrow and uh, pray uh, for, the service and we'll, for the service Sunday and we'll look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Let's pray together. Jesus, I'm so thankful for your word. Every time, every time I turn to your word, I'm challenged, I'm quickened, Lord, and, and I'm, 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 I'm compelled to, to work harder, to strive to be more like you, to strive to be more authentic in my relationship with you. And Lord, your word is so inexhaustible. We, we never get, get to the bottom of it because it, there's so much there. But help us to continue to harvest it. Help us to continue to live it. Help us to continue to strive to be worthy of the calling wherein you've called us. Lord, bless the congregation tonight, all, all of the ones that are here, even those that could not be here. Lord, order our steps, lead us, guide us, bring us back together on Sunday. Let us be blessed in your presence. And everybody say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. You got a couple extra minutes, so tell somebody you're glad to see them and uh, have a very safe trip home, and we'll see you on Sunday. God bless you tonight, in Jesus' name.